As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. How do I sound now? Sound okay? Did you ask Pop that question? Let's do it. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. And it's another edition of Hoops Adjacent on the Athletic NBA show. David Aldridge, very lucky to be back in D.C. because I understand it's uh, like snowing like crazy in Salt Lake City now. And I got out just in time after All-Star Weekend. But I wanted to get right to our guest because I am so thrilled to have him. Uh, He's been on before and is always, always insightful and makes you think. And that's partly because of his life path and his career. One of one of the best referees to ever do it in NBA history, Bob Delaney. Now the author, he's written a million books. But this book, if you can see it, I don't know if you can see it. Heroes are human, lessons in resilience, courage, and wisdom from the COVID front lines. Bob, thank you for joining us, man. David, always a pleasure and honor to be with you. And it, it's always great. You know, the longer you're off the floor, the better the referee you were. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure. But, Bob, you have spent, you know, so much time since you left, uh, you know, active refereeing. and You still consult and do things with, with the referees. But, you know, the show's called Hoops Adjacent for a reason, because we like to talk about everything and not just basketball all the time. And and your your book is just it's fantastic. And, um, and I told you this before we started it, it really resonated with me because my mom was a pediatric emergency room nurse for 30 years in DC at children's hospital, which is like one of the most renowned, you know, pediatric hospitals in the world. And, um, I know what that job did to her physically and emotionally. And, um, and, and she was working, literally with life and death every day, like children coming in who were about to die unless something was done to save them. Um, And I can't even imagine the trauma that that put on her. But I think about what these COVID uh, nurses and doctors and administrators, and that's one of the great things about the book, Bob, is that you look at the whole thing. It's a 360 degree view. The victims, the people who came in and, and got sick, you talk to all people at all of those touch points. And I, I wondered, given your background, not only with with basketball, but I'm sure people know Bob was undercover uh, for three years, <laughs> infiltrated the mob, 
um, has worked with wounded warriors for the last three decades, worked with responders at 9-11. When when COVID hit, did you th- did you automatically know, oh, these people are going to be in for a world of hurt? Uh, not immediately, David. You know the comments that you just made. Your mom and, and nurses do the work of angels; they truly do. And um, you know, your mom working with children. One of the things that I always come have come to learn that whether it's uh, law enforcement, firefighters, military, healthcare community, when they're working with children, there's a different dynamic because many times they see their own children faces on the on with the children that they're working with so it becomes another level of emotion that is being processed and yet still having to do their job in real time while they're feeling those emotions so they become very good at compartmentalizing emotions in order to do their job what struck me is as COVID uh, started to take hold in our country i was driving by hospitals and i would see signs out front heroes work here and uh, I know that with the work I've been doing for the past four decades with those who serve, anyone that's given the title of hero doesn't like it. Uh, I was told I did heroic work and that I was a brave guy. And I, I felt so hypocritical being given awards back after surfacing from doing the undercover work because I was scared to death. It wasn't like right. I was this tough guy. And nobody saw me walking around my house with my gun out pushing shower curtains back at two o'clock in the morning because I was paranoid they were coming to get me. So I sensed that the folks that are being told they're heroes with the amount of death that's taking place and um, what they were experiencing, I wanted to understand it more. And I also understood that they were at war with an invisible enemy. And um, so I paralleled the learning that I and the knowledge that I had from dealing with those who are at battle on foreign soils to what was taking place in our healthcare community. It, it, it fascinates me that this is, this is so different. As you mentioned, when you're in a war zone situation, you basically know who the enemy is. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you, right. like there are some wars. Obviously, Vietnam was very different right. from the trench wars of World War One and World War Two. But, but for the most part, you you know they they have uniforms. They're fire. Right. You know they're firing at you, so you know that they're enemy. Um, but with a, with something like COVID, I mean, there's nobody to shoot at, right? right. I mean, there's nobody right. to to kind of to fight against. Uh, and I just wonder the the toll that that took on on healthcare providers, and again, up and down the the chain of command, uh, from the nurses and the doctors to the to their supervisors who are human beings too, and to the people at you know who. And, and one of the more fascinating things is that one of the people you interviewed are, are people who had to deal with supplies. Like we got to right. get these, we got to get right. this PPR to people. They right. need it to survive. What do right. I do? I don't have enough. I got to get it. How do I get it? I got to improvise, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm sure there are parallels between that and people at, at those command levels in the military. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you hit so many points. There's so many great points. You know, the, there were so many levels to this that were taking place and, all we were asked to do was put on a mask and stay six feet apart and have a, you know, a happy hour in our driveways. And we thought we were sacrificing. And then to understand what the healthcare community was going through, 
they never had to be afraid of bringing cancer home. And now they had to be afraid that they were going to affect their families. And these are folks that are willing to do whatever it takes for the actually people they don't even know. Imagine what they would, how would they feel for right. the folks that they love? And so, uh, you know, in conversations, they would explain to me that they also had to hold hands with people who were dying. They never had to do that before because usually family members were bedside. Or set up phone calls and, and and Zooms and FaceTimes for final goodbyes. One nurse explained to me that she said, you know, people couldn't speak because they're uh, so congested and, and so overwhelmed with the disease that they would write on a whiteboard, please don't let me die. And it just struck me. Can you imagine being there knowing that a person is feeling this inside and how do you continue to do your job while trying to be a human being of being consoling? And so all of this kind of conflict that was going on inside and then not being able to see the enemy, like you said, that's why, David, in, in, in starting the book, um, I wanted to bring some kind of thought process to what they were experiencing. And my wife, Billy, has run 25 marathons uh, around the world. And it struck me that when she trains for a marathon, she knows what pace she wants to be at. She knows yeah. the, the beginning, middle, and the end. So I use that as the as the parallel because what our healthcare community, they were lined up to go on a, a long race. They didn't know how long it was. And somebody just yelled out, start. <laughs> and they, they didn't run. know how long it was going to be. And yeah. so <laughs> how can you do that? And, yeah. and so you know Dave Scheiber, uh, Dave, Dave, a longtime sure. uh, a writer. Uh, is, is co-author on on the book. He, he and I have co-authored all of the books that I've written. And um, we wanted to bring analogies to understand what they were going through. So that's where a lot of times we'll come up with the sports analogies to to bring that kind of home for folks to just try to imagine being in these positions. And the same thing like with the, the military or, or firefighters, law enforcement that I've worked with for years, I, I say that the uniform they wear makes them think they can leap tall buildings in a single bound. They, you know, they can handle anything. And I think scrubs and lab coats do the same for our healthcare community. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Um, and <laughs> my mom used to talk about doctors sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and where the God complex came from and all that stuff. <laughs> but, but I've heard those stories story. as well. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, but I, I did. You you mentioned the the sports analogy, and I and I'm really fascinated by it because you certainly worked in that world for a long time as well, and the, especially the notion, Bob, of peer to peer discussion and 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 witness. Really, I mean, just because again, as, as you say so many times, you if you don't know what it was like to be doing that thing, you, it's hard to speak on it authoritatively, right, right. you know, like, and so I always wonder about that, you know, in our business and my business of covering basketball, primarily, I, we fail as, as journalists to describe, to make people understand how hard it is to be a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. Like it's really hard, you know? So, um, and I wonder if you saw parallels between, Nur the nurses and the and the medical staffs that were able to communicate with one another in real time as this was starting in 2020 and and being able to talk to one another and, and really kind of have that safety valve that release um 
and maybe, you know, teams and players where the only people that really understand how hard it is to be an NBA player are other NBA players. Yeah, I, I believe wholeheartedly in peer-to-peer conversations, those who go through a similar experience sharing with each other. What is personal is universal. If if you're feeling an emotion, I'm feeling it at some point too, because there's no new emotions in this world. And then when you work in the same environment, those emotions start showing up, those frustrations start showing up. So having someone that you can go to, that you feel safe with, that you trust, uh, to be able to have the conversation is extremely important. Uh, you know, I've told this story before, but um, for me, it was a guy by the name of Joe Pistone, Donnie Brasco. Uh, when I surfaced from doing the undercover work, I was dealing with a lot of issues. And right. um, Louis Free was the FBI agent who worked my case and Joe's over in New York. And he, when he put us together, and I looked in Joe's eyes and I read his body language and I heard his words. I knew he got what I was going through. And so I, I used to refer to it as peer-to-peer therapy, but I think we've over-medicalized this conversation and we scare people away from it. David, this is a human condition. It's not a mental illness. It can lead to mental illness. And when I say over-medicalized, I don't want anyone to misinterpret that I'm saying we don't need the medical side of the house. We do. We have tremendous resources, but this has been around forever. Sophocles wrote two plays about the warrior, not knowing how to act after coming home from battle. After the civil war, it was referred to as soldier's heart, world war one, shell shock, world war two, battle fatigue, uh, Vietnam, uh, Korean wars. We refer to it as flashbacks. Today we refer to it as post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, And to me, PTSD is probably one of the most loosely used terms in our society. Folks, we do not get PTSD if Starbucks gets our order wrong. Uh, but we throw this around as if it's like we're all exposed. We right. are exposed. Uh, I, I do work with the uh, Harvard Global Mental Health Trauma Recovery Program. I, I was a student there in 2019. And then uh, now I present at, at the course. Dr. Malika is the director, and he tapped right. me to go in and speak about self-care. And um, <laughs> Dr. Malika has a very simple statement. He says trauma is inescapable in life. We are all susceptible. It's going on in Turkey. It's going on right. in the Ukraine. Sure. Um, these are these. So I understood it was going to be going on in our healthcare community. I wrote an article in the Tampa Bay Times in August of 2020, predicting a wave of post-traumatic stress in the healthcare community based on what I was seeing, and unfortunately, it's come true. How did these? How do these folks find you know the beginnings of healing? in the midst of their because they're reliving that trauma every day it's new trauma it's another patient it's another kid it's another grandmother and it never stops and they 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 their life's calling is to be there at that in that place so where did they start to heal you know one of the things i can i've learned is that our healthcare community is very good at taking care of us They're not very good at taking care of themselves. And so why COVID shines the light on this subject. This is a conversation that needs to be had and should have been had decades ago. And our healthcare community really does not immerse. I'm starting to go now to nursing schools and having this conversation and having conversations with um, pre-med programs to say these are things we have to provide the tools to be able to understand what they're experiencing. And all too often, they're going in blind. And resilience is something that is a learned 
it, you know, the same way we used to talk about leaders, oh, he's a born leader or she's a born yeah. leader. No, yeah, you learn how to be a leader. You can be trained. You can become a better leader. The same thing, I believe, with resilience. And I break resilience down into three aspects. There has to be a confrontation to the reality. You have to confront what, you, what the issue is. But I changed that word to confrontation because to me, confrontation sounds very abrupt and negative. Yeah, but confrontation. Yeah. We confront because we care. And then the next part, the second part is a search for meaning. Understand what your mission is. And there's a level of, while we all have our own religious beliefs, there's a spirituality to resilience. And the third part I refer to as FIA, F-I-A, flexible, innovative, and adaptive. And David, what I just described, those who serve, whether it be military, law enforcement, firefighters, healthcare workers, all do that on a daily basis operationally. They, they're not afraid to confront anything. They know what their mission is. They're flexible, innovative, and adaptive. They have plan A, B, C, D, and E. Uh, so I've changed the term to operational stress when having yeah. this conversation. It's the stress that comes as the result of the profession that you uh, have chosen. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. One of the things that, that fascinated me most, Bob, in the book was um, one of the doctors who pointed out that you can have positive outcomes after suffering from PT, suffering through PTSD. Right. right. Um, and I'd never even thought about that. It's right. like, wait, how do you, how do you have a positive outcome after going through that? And I was fascinated by that notion that it, that it can help you grow in, in certain areas. And I just wondered, you know, what was your thought process in terms of, well, in terms of getting, getting that information um, fr from the healthcare field? Yeah, uh, I, I, I often refer to PTSD as post-traumatic stress development versus disorder. Uh, right. There's another term, PTG, post-traumatic growth. Uh, after going through, there's no testimony without a test in, in so many aspects of our lives. And right. so the same thing takes place here. And at times, I think it's almost become a self-fulfilling prophecy of people start to think, oh, I went through something difficult. There's got to be post-traumatic stress as a result, yet there's resilience and growth that comes from these kinds of things. That's the reason I refer to it as lessons in courage, wisdom, and resilience. That's the reason for those words to be there. This took me a long time to understand, but courage is not absent of fear. Courage takes place despite the fear the that you fear, experience. Right? Yeah. And so having those conversations and giving the freedom to have and permission to have the conversation to say, I was scared to death when that was taking place. Uh, I've talked to pilots who have told me the same thing. You know, it was like, yeah, something happened in that cockpit and they were scared to death, but they did their job. Right. And that's what they were trained to do. So 
it's getting beyond and understanding you're a human being. And that's the reason why it's such an important topic. Heroes are human. They're human beings. They have true emotions. They're ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Yeah. I I, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, one aspect of that. And that the, the nurse in Florida, Susie, I believe her name was, um, that that kind of do- had to dive in and and like everybody you just do what needs to be done that particular day but she talked about how she was a, you know a goalie in in high school and a really good one mm-hmm. um on her soccer team and i just wonder if some of those learned responses that athletes have which is kind of like you said it's okay to be afraid you just have to kind of work through that fear and that's what we call courage it's just doing what you do ev- normally it just under different under different stresses and i wonder if if athletes in particular maybe can be more successful getting through those traumatic situations because of their training in their past life i i agree wholeheartedly i i, I think that those things that are learned on sports fields of commitment, dedication, teamwork, trust, uh, you got to trust your teammate, right? That uh, they're doing their job, you're doing your job. Uh, the, the amount of time and effort that's put in, how many times, I always say to folks, never, young folks, never admire Michael Jordan's abilities to play the game or LeBron or Kobe or Shaq or Larry or Magic. Admire their work ethic. You know, you're seeing them on a Sunday afternoon, That's right? but how many hours did they spend to get to where they are? To me, you know, you and I had such a, a great gift to be able to be in those gyms, in those arenas when there were no fans around and you watch them go through. That's right. <laughs> it's not, it is not like just when they say shoot around, that's that. That's really not, it is work, man. They are, yeah. are putting in work. And it's night in and night out and day in and day in. And and that's what's always amazing to me. And I think with Susie um, Dorner, who you refer to, um, that dedication and commitment that she learned on a sports field, she carried over and she does to this day. And what's really cool about she got to be the uh, coin flip uh, in in the Super Bowl uh, when it was in Tampa a few years back. And uh, just a special, special woman. Yeah. You know, I always remember Bob Larry, when Larry Burt was at Indy, when he was the the coach there and we were talking and I said, well, who, you know, how do you decide who gets to take the last shot and at the end of a game? And he said, oh, it's Reggie Miller. And I said, why? He said, cause he's earned it. Cause wow. he worked right. cause his, because I see him every day taking 400, 500, mm-hmm. 600 shots after practice is over. And nobody else does it but him. And so that's why he gets to shoot at the end. If he doesn't want to shoot it, that's up to him. But he gets to right. choose. <laughs> right. And and I always remember that. And, you you know, it, whether it's Ray Allen, all the great players, they all are the hardest workers. All right. of them. <laughs> right. You know, um, and I'm sure that that comes true in, in, in the medical field as well. And, and the people that are the most, I don't want to say indispensable, but the people that other people seem to lean on are those kinds of people like Susie. Susie Dorner. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I saw it over and over and so many stories. I mean, David, one, one nurse in talking about resilience and courage and wisdom, um, she explained to me that she was working 12 hour shifts 
And um, she was just immersed into the whole world of COVID and just was getting burnt out. And she just wanted to get away and was going to go out on a boat uh, on a lake just to spend the day with her husband and forget about everything else. And they had a great day. And as they pulled in at the end of the day and they were going to dock, she went off to the front of the boat to tie it off. And she started crying uncontrollably. And what happened, David, on land was a small boat that had a tarp over it. And it was the same color of the body bags that she had been putting patients into. And she right. remembered every one of their names and saw every one of their faces. These are the flashbacks. These are the memories that are in their head. It's etched. And for folks to understand, those of us who have lived through 9-11, we can tell you exactly where we were. Tommy Izzo just spoke the other day about he remembered where he was when John right. Kennedy was killed. He remembered where he was on 9-11. And he will forever remember where he was when he got the news of what took place at Michigan State. And yeah. these are traumatic events that come into our lives. Um, and, and unfortunately, we relive them at times when we go to sleep. That's where nightmares come from. We get into a relaxed state and the body is reacting. So for the healthcare community, they've been reliving these kinds of things when they're in private moments. They remember all of those things. And while death is part of their world, not in the amount that they were experiencing and feeling helpless not right. to be able to 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 find a solution. Well, you in the book, well, again, one of the one of the healthcare workers mentions that they started to to keep tabs on the patients that survived and the patients that were discharged. right. And even though the amount the numbers were smaller, the fact that they had to celebrate victories, they yes. had to celebrate wins in the midst of all the loss that they suffered. I love that you bring that up because as a society, we need to do it as well. That was such a, an important part when I heard that from the healthcare worker, the nurse. We're celebrating the wins. We're, we're, we're staying on top of them, staying in touch with people. I'm seeing people that survived that I didn't know what happened to them. Then I saw them on another floor. We have to celebrate the wins. And one of the wins that came for us as a society, Simone Biles. When Simone Biles right. um, went through the twisties and we became educated as to what twisties right. meant. Yeah. yeah, We understood this is a young woman who is going to be 12 to 15 feet in the air and she's not confident. We were understanding. But think if... Two to three Olympics ago, she would have been vilified as being unpatriotic because right. <laughs> uh, she didn't tough it out or she didn't, uh, you know, tighten her belt and just go forward. So we're moving the bar as a society. We're becoming more understanding. And, and to me, that that's that's the small wins in the area of trauma. I, I do worry. One thing I worry about because it was prevalent throughout the book and understandably so was that everybody at every touch point that the the. the the doctors, the nurses, the their supervisors, the people that suffered from COVID, their families all expressed anger, mm -hmm. <laughs> just incredible right. amounts of anger, anger at people not wearing masks when they should be and right. people who were who were trying to you know, live in these conspiracy theories, anger at 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 if you talk to the uh, you know a doctor who didn't answer your question the way you liked or you, you, every, and it's understandable but that anger is so corrosive bob and i just wonder how 
how do we begin to address coming, well, I don't even know if coming out of COVID is the right phrase, but it seems that maybe COVID's less prevalent in right. everyone's lives, but that anger's still there. And how do we kind of deal with that in a, in a good way to lead to good outcomes? Yeah, uh, I, I just spoke to a doctor uh, two days ago, and um, she was she's a leading uh, expert in the area of infectious disease in a particular state. And she was very helpful in this book, yet she has told me she cannot read it. She says <laughs> she's tried a couple times and she right. said, um, I just I, I don't want to go back there. I, I don't want to go back there. And, it, and it's so understandable it, it, because those wounds are fresh. And uh, not all wounds bleed and invisible right. wounds may cut as deep as the wounds we do see. And while a scab will grow over a wound that we have on our body uh, with invisible wounds, emotional wounds, there's a scab that goes over it, too. But it can be knocked off just the same as a real yeah. scab. And it brings you back. And those understanding triggers that bring us back to that is extremely important. That's one of the things that I have conversations with uh, the healthcare community about now is understanding what those triggers are, uh, particular sounds, sights, smells will bring you back to the original experience. Yeah. And while that is not about trying to eliminate post-traumatic stress, it helps people interact with it. So I believe education awareness works. We've done it with HIV, AIDS. We've done it with drugs, tobacco, um, right. and, and alcohol. The more that we're understanding of what's taking place, the better we interact with it. And and I learned this from Lieutenant uh, Colonel uh, Tim Karcher. Uh, he he was hit in Iraq uh, by an RPG, lost his legs. I was doing work with him down at uh, BAMC at the Brooks Medical Center in San Antonio, and Tim said to me in, in a conversation within a group one day about post-traumatic stress, he said, oh, post-traumatic stress is like, it's like dieting. Some of us need to lose five to 10 pounds, some 10 to 20, and some of us are obese. And it changes on an hourly or daily basis. And I said, Tim, what a great way mm. to describe something that doesn't have a quantitative measure to it. I said, I'm going to use it in my presentations because I've been five to 10 pounds overweight since I came <laughs> out of the womb. And I've been 10 <laughs> to 20 and I've been obese. But David, at times it just meant buying bigger pants. It didn't mean that I went right. in the house and stopped living. So right. it's not about eliminating post-traumatic stress. It's learning how to interact with it in a healthy way. Yeah, that's fast. That's that, that's great. You you are in in the book. There, one of the the, the gentleman that that got COVID. I he wrote about having this buzzing that he couldn't understand yes. for yes. months, months, months yes. afterwards. Nobody understood what it was, and then he finally realized. That it was the beeping sound of yes. the ventilator that he was on yes. when he was unconscious. Yes. And it had gotten through somehow. Yes. And he remembered it finally. Um, and, and that's just it's amazing what the what the mind retains. Yes. Yeah, that and was how, John Place. John Place um was a victim of COVID. And um I heard his story on the Howard Stern show, and then I tracked yeah, him right. down. And and John and, and his wife, Michelle, were so willing to to help us understand. And it, your point that the subconscious of him being um, unconscious and yet still hearing those things. And then he couldn't understand why was that sound bringing him like not pleasant thoughts or. And so he had to figure yeah. out. And, and it's always interesting to me to find those kinds of things, because. We all experience those. When we have an experience, 
For me, it's the smell of burning flesh. As a as a young state trooper, I had a, a, a older couple that were in an automobile accident, and they were caught inside the car, and the car was on fire. And um, myself and the other trooper tried to get to, we couldn't get into the car, and you could hear them screaming. But it's the smell of those burnt tires that yeah. brings me yeah. back to that event. And I can still, when I say that, it still conjures up in my mind and the emotion and and that you get that feeling in your throat of you 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 felt like you should have done more or you could have done more and that continues to haunt me and and david that's when i was 21 years old and i'm 71 years old now right that's 50 years ago uh that that experience happened but it still is so fresh in my mind and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to pivot just briefly because I always wondered how referees kind of compartmentalize. Nobody that doesn't do this job understands the job at all. Right. You know, we think we do, but we don't really. And and it's amazing. I was walking into one of the events uh, at All-Star Weekend with this family, a, a, a young man and his kid that he was holding and his wife. And the man looks at me and he goes, hey, did you go to American University? And I went, yeah. <laughs> How did you know that? He said, oh, I refed one of your games last year. You were you were at the game. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it, and I just, you know, and he was t- we were just talking about, you know, his job and stuff. And and I I've written about referees over the over the course of my career, but it's still not the same as being one, <laughs> you know, right, right. and I wonder how, how do the guys and, and when you talk to them, how do they kind of deal with that stress of being involved in very high stakes, highly emotional, and now increasingly highly bet upon games where the calls that they make can impact the game and they're just trying to get it right. Yeah. Um, so a- as a referee um, for 25 years in the league and then five years, I was in management, vice president, referee operations, director of officials. And now I'm with the um, Southeast Conference uh, right. do- doing advising work. One of the things that we reinforce is the why and the how. Why did we get it right and how can we repeat it? So what I ask officials to do and have always, if 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 the data is saying we're getting 92% correct when we're making a call, then I want them to go look at that 92%. Because if we chase the 8%, we're going right. to lose a portion of that, right? Reinforce the positive. 
more often than not, as we all do in our society, when we get something wrong, we want to go to that first. Well, there's going to be always be sure. incorrect plays, but I try to discipline them to say, go to the positive, reinforce what you're doing right. Why did we get it right? How do we, how do we repeat it? Then take a look at the plays you've missed. Why did we miss it? And how can we adjust to be able to try and get a piece of that 8%? We're not going to get to 100%. There's no perfection in this business. Right. Re replay has brought high technology, has brought an expectation by fans and and and, and, and media and, and players yeah. and coaches yeah. that they get it correct. How could they have missed that? How could that have not been called? So um, I, I think that compartmentalization during mm -hmm. the course of a game is important as well. You know, when you kick a call, you yeah, know, sure. And sure. It, what I found is early in my, on my career, I wanted to like try and prove I was right versus now when, you know, later in my career, I would just say, I just kicked that clay. They're like, yeah. When you tell a player or a coach that you just kicked it, they hit you on the rear end and say, get the next one. Right. It, it's the end of it. It's when yeah. you bow your neck and try to prove that you're wrong. There are doctorates in the game of basketball along those sidelines. Yeah. You cannot yeah. fool <laughs> NBA coaches. Right, they right, know. Right. So it, 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 trying to con them or say, I, I, no, I got that right. They're not going to believe that. No. Bob, I used to always say this to this day. If a politician held a press conference and said, you know what? I screwed up the yes. thing you're the thing you're accusing me of. I did. Yep. I have no follow up question. Exactly. exactly. You know what I mean? Like exactly. You, you've totally disarmed the whole situation. You know, and I wonder. You know, taking this back to 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 your book, if if people are now more willing in 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 the midst of kind of assessing COVID and how we all responded and how the medical community did. Will they look at the positives? Will they look at the things that they did right under these incredibly stressful situations? Or will they, as humans tend to do, fixate on the things that went wrong? I think I think in the long run, we look at the at the wins. You know, you triggered something in my mind as a result of this conversation. And so I'm going to go back to an Easter Sunday game many years ago. I'm working with the great you, Evans, who had just gotten into the Hall of Fame, God rest right. his soul, yeah. uh, and Leroy Richardson. And we're in Miami. They're playing the Knicks. At the end of the game, this is before we have repay, Allen Houston goes up. I wipe it out. It should have been good. I, yeah. and, and the Knicks would have won. And, you know, uh, Van Gundy's yelling and screaming at me. We're going back and 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 – you know, I get to the locker room and I know I missed this call. And it's like, it's late yeah. in the season. It causes the Knicks not to have home court in the playoffs. And by fate, I happen to have their first playoff game and it's on the road against Indiana. And so I walk into the arena and Spike Lee is all over me, sitting <laughs> courtside, yelling and screaming, we should be in New York because of you. And I said... Hey, Spike, I've seen every one of your movies, and they ain't all hits either, brother. <laughs> and so, you know, we make mistakes as human beings. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. And and I hope that 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 as they assess, that they understand that they saved a lot of people's lives. Yes. You know, yes. even in the midst of, of coordinated disinformation, people got vaccines and they lived and they're living because of it and people that w went into the hospitals got saved 
by these healthcare professionals and their families are 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 able to spend time with them as a result of it. There, there was a lot that they did right. Yes. That, and, and there's a fog of war, right? So we hear about yeah. the fog of war on the battlefield. There was a fog of war with the invisible enemy COVID as well. Early stages. That was the reason that I wanted to spend time with those behind the lines, uh, just like the generals and those that are right. making decisions, because they're getting information on one day that the next day it's old information. It is not relevant any longer. And so they right. had to constantly go through that. And, and, and there's a frustration level that exists there for decision makers, because now they're the leaders and they're learning as they're going. And we all were frustrated with COVID. Put the mask yeah. on, not put the mask on, do this, do that. Right. Magnify that a hundred times by the people that are on the front line of COVID, the healthcare community. They yeah. were as confused as well, not because they didn't know, because they were learning as it was taking place. Yeah. And and that the, the inability to kind of allow people to have new information. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't understand that. Like, we all benefit when you get more information. Exactly. It's always helpful. Exactly. And you're talking about brilliant human beings. I yeah. mean, it's like, you know, I, I, I tell people I get to go and do grand rounds now. Like I was at Baylor Scott and White and at Moffitt Cancer Hospital. And it's, here's a guy that I thought my middle name was, is he eligible? When my coach would say every week, is he still eligible? Can he play? And I'm there sharing his time with them. And they're, they're just brilliant. And and to hear the work they do and how I, I was with a doctor from um, Africa. He was nine years old when he started college. This wow. guy is amazing. Oh he God. is like off the charts, brilliant, and just an amazing guy. And I asked him, I said, how did you know you wanted to go into healthcare?" He said, my father had chickens, and uh, he said, at our house. And when I was like seven years old, I said, I'll take care of the sick chickens. He, so he had an affinity that? to wanting to help. It's yeah. just an amazing story. Yeah. Well, I agree with you about one thing. I think people in that profession are doing God's work because it's 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 unbelievably stressful. Um, and they're the ones that are always there holding people's hands and, and you know, helping them transition, whether it's to health or to the next plane. And that's they're both traumatic, right? And so yeah, and David, uh, this is where we are now. We need to honor, thank, and support them. Because yeah. we were all about banging pots and clapping at seven o'clock at night every night during the height of COVID and honoring them. Well, where are we now? What are we doing right. now? You know, right. these are these folks are burnt out. Uh, right. Some are leaving the profession because they've had enough. Uh, that hurts all of us because we're losing expertise in right. the healthcare community with them leaving. So my one of the things that we're doing is honor, thank, and support, and we're gifting the book to the healthcare community. I go in and give a presentation um, down in, down at Moffitt Hospital, BMW Sarasota and Rittenhouse uh, Publications uh, sponsored the book. We have other organizations uh, in conversation with teams. MBA Cares has helped us uh, bring, bring the books. We don't want them buying it. We want them to, we want to hand it and say thank you. And honor, thank and support our healthcare community is, is our mantra. Well, I really hope that people 
took that, what you just said to heart, um, because I'm sure everybody listening knows somebody in that profession, whether family or friends, or, and, and you really should do that. You should take a second, a moment to just say thank yes. you, um, because what they have done the last three plus years is just astounding. Uh, and and I hold them in the highest regard uh, because, as you know, Bobby, there's mo- most people when when there's a big boom, most people run away, but there's a few people that right. run toward and they're right. the people that always run toward. Um, and um, I, I say that I have no I am not objective about this. <laughs> I say that wholeheartedly. I'm not objective at all about this. But the well, book, David, David, yeah, think about this. Military uh, goes to where trauma is. Yeah. The healthcare community has trauma walk in the front door. Right. Comes to them. Right. Comes right. right to them. That's right. That's right. Bob, it's a great book. Heroes are human. Lessons in resilience, courage, and wisdom from the COVID front lines. Bob Delaney with Dave Shiver. Just, just fantastic book, Bob. I thank you for sending it to me. And you always, in all your salutations, end it with stay safe. So I say the same to you. Please stay safe out there. And thank you for for helping educate all of us about who the real heroes are in our society. Thanks, David. Stay safe to you as well, to your audience, but also uh, take care of you. Uh, Self-care does not mean selfish. I have the card. Thank you for enclosing the self-help card. And I'm going to try to stick to that. (laughs) Yes, it's not easy. Self-care does not mean selfish. We need to take care of ourselves to be the best version of ourselves to make this world a better place. Bob, thank you very much. And all of y'all listen to us. Leave that five-star review on Apple, on Spotify, Apple Play, Google, wherever you get this fine American podcast. And as Marcus would say, if you can't leave a five-star review, keep it to yourself. See you next time.